0: Hi, I'm Mark Roderman. Coming up, growing support for a new political party. We'll get an update on the General Assembly's week and mixed signals from the Biden White House on student debt, next. Major funding for Front Row is
1: provided by Robert L. Letty. Additional funding provided by... Funding for the lightning round provided by... NC Realtors. State Employees Association of North Carolina, reifenberg construction stefan gleason and jane and van hip a complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org front row it's front row
0: with host mark rotterman welcome back joining the conversation mitch kokai with carolina journal communications consultant donna king political analyst joe stewart And Nelson Dower, senior advisor to North Carolina Speaker of the House. Mitch, let's begin with Gallup poll on support for our new political party. In a recent
2: Gallup survey, 62% of U.S. adults said the two major parties do such a poor job of representing the American people that a third party is needed. That is up from 57% in September. Now, to put this in perspective, that number has hit 60% before a few times, 2013, 2015, 2017. But the change in the support is very interesting. Back in September, only of Republicans agree with this notion. That number has now jumped to 63% of Republicans. So certainly a lot of interest among people who've been traditionally Republican in this idea of having a third party. In addition to that 62% figure who support the idea of a third party, just 33% think the two parties are doing an adequate job of representing the American people. That's the lowest point since it was 26% back in uh, 2018. So we certainly have seen a lot of interest in the change. Another thing that's interesting in this Gallup survey, a full 50% of adults identify themselves now as political independents. That's the largest figure that Gallup has ever recorded on this front.
0: Joe, what struck you about this poll?
3: The interesting thing I found was when people were asked, if they were a Democrat or Republican, do you feel your party needs to be more conservative or more liberal? And a majority of both parties say it should either be more liberal or more conservative. So even within people that identify with the Republican or Democratic brand, they're not satisfied within the context of their own party of where it falls on the ideological spectrum. Uh, you know, I've long said there, there is a third party in America now, it's called the internet. And a vast majority of people now get their information and form their decisions about politics based on information they themselves go out and obtain. The hallmark of parties was that it gave you a single source you could believe and trust to provide you with information on the candidates that you felt you were, generally speaking, most aligned with because you shared political affiliation with. But I think increasingly voters and younger generation voters, they're going to look for different sources to get this information. And they're going to be educated based on what they find in social media and other Internet sources.
0: Nelson, could a third party pro-Trump party uh, emerge? Well, if a
4: pro-Trump party emerged, it would be at the expense of the Republican Party, because you know, in our electoral system, it's a first to the post wins. So really a successful party has to build a broad coalition in order to win. And that leads us to our long history of essentially two parties. So uh, if one uh, wanted to become uh, successful, they would actually have to push out one of the existing parties. Uh, That would be uh, highly difficult, although the Republicans did it in 1856 to the Whigs.
0: But there is a schism in the Republican Party between the establishment right now and the Trump wing of the Republican Party, correct?
4: There is a schism between the two. I do think that um, with the events of January 6th, that certainly spiked. Uh, this poll in terms of those who are looking for a third party. So it's not simply those who are Trump supporters. And I think you also uh, probably need to wait six months uh, into the Biden term, into the Democrat control, see what Republicans are thinking then.
0: Donna, wrap this up in about 40 seconds, please.
5: Well, I think it's interesting the timing of this poll. It came out the same week as a Reuters story that said about a hundred former members of the Reagan administration, people who worked for Reagan or uh, either Bush president, have gotten together to talk about forming another party, and they say this one would be center right. That story coming out this week. But at the end, if people don't vote for them, it really doesn't matter. Joe Jorgensen got about one and a half percent of the vote in in uh, in 16, and then of course Gary Johnson, he got about three percent of the vote. So it really only matters if people go to the polls for a third.
0: Okay, I want to change gears. Nelson, fill us in on the General Assembly's week. Yes, Mark. Education was the
4: focus in the General Assembly this week with two key pieces of legislation moving forward. The conference report for Senate Bill 37, the in-person learning choice for families passed both chambers with bipartisan majorities. uh, And this bill, of course, would fully reopen public schools. Uh, We have the resources. Uh, We know the precautions that need to be taken to safely return students and teachers to the classroom. And we also know the high cost of those kids not being in the classroom. Uh, for the better part of the last year. Uh, To address learning loss that's occurred, uh, HB 82, the Summer Learning Choice for NC Families, was introduced by Speaker Moore and co-sponsored by 82 members of the House. Uh, The bill would require uh, all school systems to offer a program of 150 hours of learning and enrichment uh, over the course of the summer for at-risk students.
0: Now, is that voluntary uh, who, or, for the students, voluntary for the students? It would be. It's,
4: it's mandatory that the school systems offer this summer learning and enrichment program, but it would be optional for all parents to uh, uh, send their children.
0: Okay. What have you been following, Donna?
5: So one of the things I've been following is a bill that has just come out of the Senate or has just been proposed in the Senate would cut funding for cities and counties that move forward with a defund the police plan. For example, in Asheville, they cut almost $800,000 from the police budget. In that case, uh, proportionally, they would lose transportation money from the state if they choose that option to defund their local police. That bill, of course, is in the Senate now. I believe it's in the Senate Rules Committee. Um, But it really does speak to penalty STATES AND COUNTIES WHO UNDERCUT SOME OF THEIR LOCAL LAW ENFORCEMENT. JOE, JUMP IN HERE.
3: Senate Bill 92, Todd Johnson, Republican senator from Union County, introduced a bill to increase the capacity of people that can go to high school athletic events, uh, looking to make it possible for people to see their young people performing in sports. It sort of falls into that category. The legislature really being aggressive in trying to identify ways that North Carolinians are looking to get back to normal. Now that the vaccine's being deployed, people want to know that there's going to be some normalcy in things like being able to watch your kid play basketball, football, soccer, some other sport.
0: May put this in
2: context? There are a lot of interesting things going on at the beginning of a new uh, legislative session. Since this is the long session, you'll see a lot of ideas. One of the -the behind-the-scenes things that really struck me was that we learned that something called the Program Evaluation Division, which is a part of the General Assembly that's looked at government programs and tried to find waste, fraud, and abuse, that's going to shut down. And some people were saying, what, does this mean that legislators aren't interested in looking at fraud, waste, and abuse anymore? Legislative leaders are saying, no, it's just time for us to rethink how we do this we've actually we created a bureaucracy with the program evaluation division it was a good time to step back and say is that the most efficient way to do these things they say no you could probably just handle this with a legislative committee tackling
0: these same issues nelson wrap this up in about 40 seconds final thoughts please
4: we also received a more formal report from our economists this week uh, in the general assembly not only talking about revenue but talking about the prospects for north carolina's economy Uh, one of the very bright spots that came out of that is that we have a diverse economy in north carolina that has allowed our Uh, both jobs to rebound as well as revenues to rebound. But we still need, uh, as Joe was mentioning, to open businesses and get a large segment in in tourism and leisure and hospitality services back to work.
0: Okay, Don, I want to talk about the Biden administration. They've been sending mixed signals on canceling student debt fill us in.
5: Yes, this has gotten a lot of airtime this week. President Biden saying that he was going to not really support or could not support uh, giving $50,000 per borrower uh, in debt forgiveness for student loans. Uh, He said that his cap on what he could do uh, through executive order was about 10,000. And then he was getting a lot of heat from uh, Chuck Schumer and from Elizabeth Warren, who proposed legislation to forgive $50,000 per borrower in student debt. So this is showing uh, a kind of about-face, a little bit of mixed messaging, but it's really sparked some anger with a lot of millennials who backed Biden because of this particular campaign promise. Um, There's been, the Brookings Institute did a study, and they said that if they were to do this, it would be a trillion dollars. It would cost a trillion dollars to do this and be one of the largest transfer programs in American history.
0: Mitch, can he do this by executive order? I've seen some uh, uh, scholars think he can, some others think he can't.
2: If yeah, there's still a debate about that, uh, Biden himself, as we just talked about, said he thought he per- perhaps could forgive up to about $10,000 worth of student debt. But if he wanted to go to that $50,000 level that Senator Chuck Schumer and Senator Elizabeth Warren have been talking about, that he probably couldn't. The biggest story out of this to me is the sad state of affairs in Congress, the people who are really pushing Joe Biden to do this are the Democratic leader in the Senate and a high-profile Democratic senator. If they really want this passed, pass a bill. That's the Congress's job is to pass this type of legislation. Don't beg President Biden to do something you can't do yourself when it's your own job.
0: No, is uh, Schumer, that's a great point by Mitch, is uh, Senator Schumer trying to protect his left flank from AOC who may primary him in New York?
4: Well, I think he is. And and it also just shows that, uh, as Mitch said, if, if Congress wants to act, that's who should act. They are supposed to control the purse strings. And it also begs the question I mean, you're shifting, as Donna said, a, a trillion or a trillion and a half dollars onto the backs of U.S. taxpayers without actually addressing the real issue of soaring university costs. Is this good public
0: policy, Joe? You think?
3: The, the challenging part of this for me is the intention of federal student loans is to make it possible for people to attend college the idea being that the education they obtain there would make it more likely that they could sustain themselves economically by getting a better job after college the fact that you might be forgiving money for someone who paid for an education that's not proven to be economically viable enough for them to repay the loans is kind of an unfortunate circumstance here uh, listen i know duke energy has plenty of open positions for welders i mean go to wake Tech, go to any of the community college campuses, get a certificate to be a welder, you have a job, gainful employment. Those are the kinds of things that are needed in our society. It's hard for me to have too much sympathy for someone who chose a major that's simply not going to be able to produce the income necessary to repay these loans. Forgiveness looks a little bit like you're rewarding a bad decision.
0: Mitch, this is getting a little symptomatic of how the the White House, now they're just in their early days, is uh, messaging, though, isn't it? Yeah, you're seeing some interesting uh,
2: back and forth coming out of the Biden White House, and probably a lot of that is early growing pains. But one of the interesting points that I saw was that the chief spokeswoman for the the, the president came out and basically said the same thing that I did to uh, Schumer and Warren, hey, if you want this to happen, Pass a bill. It's your job to do it. I thought that was an interesting
0: development. Donna, wrap this up in about 40 seconds, please.
5: Well, I think one of the things, if you're sitting there on a pile of student loans, you can bet that there are going to be some strings attached to who gets forgiveness and who doesn't. It's going to depend largely on where you went to school, uh, even whether you're doing volunteer work. And so I think you're and what you're how much you're making now to Joe's point. So those who maybe made a different major decision or making a little more money, they're not going to get the amount of relief as those who are not making as much with their degree.
0: Joe, let's talk about Gavin Newsom. He's feeling a little political heat in California, isn't he?
3: Yeah, the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, facing a recall proposition uh, in that state, one of 19 in the country where people can sign up on a petition to order the recall of a state elected official. We don't have that here in North Carolina. Newsom catching a little flack in the aftermath of his announced uh, shutdown of restaurants and businesses a few months back and then caught at a Napa Valley restaurant called the French Laundry, which sounds like the kind of place you need to wear something lacy and frilly to eat at. (laughs) But he got caught in there really in defiance of the order that he had just issued in terms of safety protocols for COVID-19. The last time this happened in the state 18 years ago, Gray Davis, the then governor, was recalled and it brought rise to the governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger. So we will be interesting to see uh, if the petitions uh, have a sufficiency of of signatures. They need 1.5 million or so. Those are due by the middle of March. Um, And if the recall goes on to the ballot somewhere between 30 and 90 days after the petitions are verified, uh, it'll say two questions really. One, uh, do you want to recall the governor? And two, if you recall the governor, who do you want? Now interestingly enough, Donald Trump is sort of playing footsie with getting involved with this. One one of his former uh, cabinet officials, Richard Grinnell, was the national security advisor, has talked a little bit about the possibility of getting into this thing as one of the alternatives to Gavin Newsom if he is recalled.
0: Nelson, is this the first scrimmage post-Trump?
4: Well, it might be. But, you know, in California, we've had 54 attempts to recall governors since 1913. So this is sort of the parlor game out there they have fun with. (laughs) And as Joe mentioned, only one of them has ever actually made it to the ballot. That was Gray Davis. And I also think when you look at uh, Gavin Newsom, his support has certainly dropped, but he's still above 50%. And when you go back to uh, 2003, Gray Davis was down in the mid-20s. So unless Newsom drops considerably more, uh, it's probably not going to succeed.
0: Mitch, this is a combination of a lot of things. It's security in the streets. It's higher taxes. And by the way, they do already have 1.5 million uh, signatures there. I think they're trying to get 2 million, so they have a little buffer, Correct. Well, and it's amazing, Mark,
2: that, uh, that you're seeing this in a state that has so many natural advantages. If You would think if you're the governor of California, you could just kind of show up and just don't do anything really stupid, and you'll probably succeed. But California has adopted so many bad policies, and it coming from uh, Governor Newsom's party that it's coming home to roost. The most interesting piece to me is President Trump. If he does get involved, this would be probably the first time that we've really seen him get involved in something that doesn't have a direct impact impact on him. When he's gotten involved in congressional elections, it's because Congress, he has seen, could support the things he wants to do. If he gets involved in this, it's basically just something that would support uh, one of his former workers or his party, rather than something that directly impacts him.
0: Don, it's still risky for Trump to jump in, though, don't you think?
5: I think it is, because it can't fail. Uh, That's one of the problems, is that I would be very surprised if they were able to actually recall Newsom, even though, in this case, these particular policies have really been hitting every citizen. In many cases, bad policy only affects, you know, uh, a certain percentage. In this case, everybody's hit by it. Um, But if he—if Trump gets involved and they are not able to recall him, he can't really stand a failure uh, this early in trying to exercise that political muscle.
0: Okay, wrap this up, if you would, Joe, in about 30 seconds.
5: Well,
3: I think, uh, as Nelson said, I mean, this is high theater in California. They've had propositions on the ballot. It's a real political consulting industry around this. I think it's a solid blue state. It seems very unlikely to me that Newsom will, will actually be recalled. The, the challenge here is it's an expensive thing for the state to have to put on an election. And there's a lot of other things going on, not the least of which is still COVID-19 and the vaccine distribution. It's a shame that this has come up at this time, in my opinion.
0: But I think there's a 20% rule out there, Joe. I mean, if you had 10 or 15 people in the primary, there's a possibility the Republican could win. Okay, I wanna to move to the most underreported story of the week, Mitch.
2: A number of cities across North Carolina are scheduled to have elections this year, and many of those cities have districts that candidates run in districts. Well, one of the problems is, this is a year for redistricting, and we have learned that census data with district-level information isn't going to be available until September 30th. Well, there are some places like Raleigh that have elections scheduled October 5th. So it looks increasingly unlikely that these municipal elections in places that have districts are going to be able to take place this year. Uh, it's likely that uh, they would be pushed back into the primary date. But even then, given some delays in the census data, it's not entirely clear if you could have these elections taking place on the March 2022 primary date. So uh, we're talking about Raleigh, Charlotte, Greensboro, Winston Salem, carry a lot of big places where elections are scheduled for the fall, but they might not
0: take place. Great catch, underreported, please, Donna.
5: So I'm going to talk about vaccine tourism a little bit. We mentioned uh, last week that there was trouble with people jumping the line to get a vaccine. Well, now the state DHHS has lifted that requirement that uh, local officials have to give the vaccine to whoever uh, can take it and qualifies for the age limit. Uh, They estimate that around 30,000 of our first million doses went to people who don't live in North Carolina. So that's one of the things we really got to pay attention to, that our doses are going to our citizens.
0: That was first. First brought to our attention, I think, by our colleague, Travis Fain at WRAL. Mm -hmm. Underreported, please, Joe.
5: Yeah, the
3: state's uh, historically black colleges and universities within the public university system have uh, sought from the board of governors for those institutions an increase on the limitation of the number of -of out-of-state students that it can attend those colleges and universities, currently capped at 18%, seeking to find a way to bring in more high-quality students from out-of-state to attend these fine institutions. In large part, they provide a great education and uh, they're they're finding that they need to bolster their undergraduate populations. I I think this is an issue for the entire university system, looking at perhaps the need to increase that limitation. More students need to come from out of state, maybe even from other parts of the world, get a taste of North Carolina, receive a high quality education. I know that the desire is to make sure there's plenty of states for in state students to attend these institutions, but for now the HBCUs are leading the charge to bring in more out of state students.
0: Nelson, underreported, please. Well,
4: we've talked a lot about the impact of the pandemic on the world economy. What's underreported is that global consumption actually peaked in 2019 before the pandemic and will continue to trend downward for the balance of this century. So if you look at it, only one major industrialized country, Japan, uh, has actually successfully transitioned to a post-growth economy. Uh, Now with most of the industrialized world uh, aging into mass retirement, Export-led economies like Germany and China in particular are really facing an existential threat uh, that has been accelerated by the pandemic. If you're looking at the United States, we will be insulated from this for at least the next couple of decades with a much younger demographic. And our trade connection with Mexico's youthful consumers are also going to benefit the United States. So what's the solution for uh, Europe and other countries? Well, they're really going to have to look at making fundamental changes in their economic models. I mean, this is something that people just haven't contemplated, and I don't think anybody has the solution yet, but it will be a um, world-changing phenomenon over the balance of this decade.
0: Okay, let's go to the lightning round. Who's up and who's down this week, Mitch? What's up is bipartisan
2: opposition to litter. There's a new piece of legislation in the General Assembly called the Highway Cleanup Act, which, among other things, would double the state fine for littering. Among its major sponsors, the House Majority Leader, so one of the top Republicans, John Bell. And on the other side, a progressive Democrat, Pricey Harrison, who in a news report about this said, This is probably the first bill she and Representative Bell have ever co sponsored. Uh, My who's down. I've got to go with Richard Burr. Whatever you think about his vote on the impeachment trial, uh, it's never good for a senator to have the central committee of his party vote unanimously to censure him. Uh, The one good thing, probably he's sending a little card thanking Senator Ted Cruz for getting him out of the headlines (laughs) because of Cruz's recent trip to Cancun. Donna, who's up and who's down?
5: I'm going to say Wake County Schools Cohort 2, the first group of kids to get into the building this year, started on uh, started on Wednesday, only to get a snow day on Thursday. So they spent one day in, one day out. Now they're back. Uh, next week starts Cohort 3. These kids are super excited, I think, about getting back in the classroom. Uh, almost feels like the first day of school. Uh, but, of course, parents do have will have the option to keep their kids remote if this bill moves forward. We're looking to see uh, what the governor is going to do about. That my down governor Andrew Cuomo, the heat is really on the New York governor right now. Uh, there's a bipartisan move to, at minimum, remove his executive authority during the pandemic. Uh, maybe even roll toward impeachment and make him give up his Emmy for the, that he won for his book on how well he handled the pandemic. Of course, this is all about those number, the number about 15,000 elderly people that died in nursing homes after a directive that he gave that required those nursing homes to take them back into their population even if they had COVID or an exposure to COVID.
0: And by the way, there's a move to take his Emmy away from him. Joe, who's up and who's down this week?
3: Well, playing off of uh, Mitch, what's up, I think, is the amount of scrutiny that will be applied to Republican candidates looking to replace Richard Burr in the United States Senate in the 2022 election as a result of Senator Burr's guilty vote uh, in the impeachment trial. I think having Trump bona fides will become an important thing for Republican candidates seeking that office. Who's down? Well, the effort to distribute the vaccine, not just here in North Carolina, but across the country as a result of some of this adverse winter weather that we've had. Places like Texas and our thoughts and prayers are with our uh, friends in the Lone Star State are battling a terrible winter calamity right now. But it's slowed down a little bit of our efforts to make sure we're getting shots in the arm.
0: Long term, Joe, what do you think the political damage is to Senator Burr? Is there any long term?
3: I'm not sure. I mean, a censure of your party is kind of like the British police stop, or I'll say stop again. I mean, it really doesn't have the kind of impact, I think. And Burr is now leaving public life to a large extent, so I don't think it has a tremendous amount of impact on him.
0: Nelson, who's up and who's down this week?
4: Uh, who's up? France. Uh, French President Emmanuel Macron and his education minister and a range of French intellectuals and academics are warning against the importation of cancel culture from the United States. Uh, In their view, American wokeness is actually a threat to both French society and their heritage at a time when they see uh, France poised uh, to really reassert itself on the world stage. So they want to keep their their culture strong. Uh, Who's down is wind energy in Texas, as Joe mentioned, the weather down there, the icing and the super cold conditions led to a freezing uh, of wind turbines, basically taking at least half of that power production off the grid. And it shifted a tremendous amount of extra burden onto gas generated power, uh, which also had some weather issues as well. Uh, I would say it's a wake up call to get to newly advanced nuclear power technology back on the agenda.
0: Headline next week, Mitch, quickly. Two alternatives,
2: Cooper signing delays first veto test or Cooper veto puts pressure on democratic lawmakers.
0: Donna, quickly.
5: Uh, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell speaks to the Senate about the future of our economy.
0: Joe, headline quickly. Cooper
3: finishes filling all of his cabinet secretary's positions. Full steam ahead on the Cooper legacy of governor.
0: Quickly.
4: Facebook and Google declare war on Australia.
0: Okay. Okay, that's it for us. Great job, panel. Thanks for watching. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend.
1: Funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Letty. Additional funding provided by. Funding for the Lightning Round provided by NC Realtors. State Employees Association of North Carolina. Reifenberg Construction. Stefan Gleason. And Jane and Van Hipp. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.